And Lord, your word tells us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so, God, as we do, we come to this place to see your standard, to see the standard that you have set for what is righteous and what is holy in your sight. And so, Father, once again, we pray that you would instruct us in these concepts, God, that we would come to know you and glorify you through all that we do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. What? That wasn't the last song. I messed up. <laughs> it's all right. Timed out perfect. Yeah. Hi, Ed. It wasn't complicated. <laughs> Good morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you need a Bible, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Everybody good? Go ahead and turn it to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to do a little topical twist, and to this morning's study is going to be based upon verse 19. We looked at it briefly last week, but we're going to look at a couple of concepts in depth today that the Lord just laid upon my heart that I think are necessary, not just for our church, but for the church with all that we have that goes on in our lives, all of the turmoil that goes on in our society. Just a reminder to stay focused on God and to pursue the knowledge of God, to come into a deeper awareness, not only of who he is, but of everything he's able to do. But not just of everything he's able to do, everything he is able to do in your life. That we would come to know this God personally and understand that he knows us in a personal manner as well. And so verse 19 of chapter 3 in 1 John, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So two critical questions. Do you know that you are of the truth? Of the truth? Well, it's the origin of who you are as a born-again believer. As I've said so many times before, somebody came into your life, somehow, some way, they preached the word, not preached such as a preacher behind the pulpit, but they shared the word of God with you. And it's that which is living and powerful and was able to change and alter your life. And so truly, if you are born again, then you are of the truth. And also, secondly, is your heart assured before the scrutinization of the Holy Spirit? So really, two separate things here is to be of the truth, is to be born again, but also for the born-again believer, you should have a surety of your relationship with God built upon the love of God that was directed towards you. And this is the love of God that he has given to you that you would be called a child of God. And those who God brings into his family, God keeps. We're told in Romans chapter 8, Verse 39, what can separate us from the love of God? To condense those verses that are in that section, the answer is nothing, nothing. Once you're in, you're in. And so you should have a surety in the midst of your imperfections, 
in the midst of the situations and circumstances of life, in the midst of the upheaval in the world, I'm God's. I'm God and I am kept by the power of God. And so your heart should be assured before the scrutinization, as I said, of the Holy Spirit. Your heart, your heart is your conscience, that you would have a conscience that has been put at peace. Assured, we looked at that last week, to be persuaded, to be set at rest, to be tranquil, to be tranquil in your relationship with God. God's not angry at you. God is not your enemy. He is your father. He is your Abba. He cares for you. He watches over you and he protects you. In this present evil world, all the way from the Apostle John's through even to ours, there are certain things that a Christian needs to be assured of in order to stand strong or stand in boldness before a holy God. Now, in my past religious experience, I had no relationship with God. Matter of fact, God was defined to me according to man's terms. And according to that, God could be mad at me at any time. I could lose my salvation if, in fact, I really had it. There was just no surety. And because there was no surety, there was never any peace in my life. Now, sooner or later, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uses the illustration that we are a building in Christ. We're being built up. And the only sure foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. But in our lives, at time, from time to time, the foundations, well, at least that which attaches the building to the foundation, they become shaken. Again, there's certain issues, and as I said earlier, situations and circumstances that cause our faith to be tested, to see where I'm at with the Lord, to know that I'm strong with him. But the writer of Hebrews in chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. This hope we have is an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. We can have strong hope, trusting in God for our future. And what he's saying in these turbulent times and the unsurety of life, it's an anchor to your soul. It keeps you anchored and rooted where you need to be, firmly before the face of the Lord. Now, he speaks of two immutable things. When he says immutable, he means unchangeable. What are the two immutable things? His promises and his pledges. The promises of God and the pledges that God has made towards us that are contained in his word. His promise is salvation for all who would believe upon him. If you believe upon the Lord, you will be saved. His pledge, his pledge is the security of the Holy Spirit. So again, somebody spoke the word to you, you believed, you became born again. But even as you became born again, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That was God's promise to you. I've used the illustration before, but it was back in 1978, I went and bought a ring for a young lady. Uh, not Terry, somebody, no, it was Terry. <laughs> I bought a ring for a young lady, and I asked her, I got down on my knees and did the whole thing, and will you marry me? And she said, yes. And so there was that bond, the promise was given, and then I gave the pledge, which was the ring. 
and she could look at that ring, that engagement ring, and remember the promise that I had made through that pledge, and she would have the surety that one day we would get married. It was important because it took me like about two years before we finally got married, but nonetheless, there was that reality in our lives. Now again, she got the benefits of that, I got the bill. Not to be funny so much, but it's the same way with our Lord. When did he send the Spirit? Upon his death. He, he paid the price. He paid the price. He paid the price for our lives. And, and he gave us this promise that if you would believe what occurred upon the cross, you'll be saved. And here's the pledge, the existence of the Holy Spirit within our lives. John, again, this is coming towards the end of his life. It's believed that the Apostle John is in his 90s at this time, and he's wanting to strengthen the church. These are his last words in the epistles here, 1 John, 2 and 3 John, and that these are the things we see that are important to him, that he wants the church to know that the church would find victory in the Lord moving forward even after he is gone. And he was the last of the apostles to die. And so these are really final words from those who walk personally with the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he wants us to have that sure foundation in Jesus Christ and to know that we have fellowship with God. Both of these things, as well as everything in your Christian life, will be based upon the fact, and this is important, this is what the remainder of the study is going to be about, the surety that you have, the reality of your salvation, how God interacts, will all be dependent upon how well do you know God? How well do you know God? No. Now, again, we've been looking. John's used this play on words, two Greek words for know, gnosko and oida. Oida is to know just simply by reading a book. And anybody can pick up a Bible and read the book and find out concepts about God. But the important thing is, is to gnosko God. That's to know him by experience. I've experienced my wife for the last 39 years. I'll know her better than anybody will ever know her. And so we need to understand the importance of knowing God through the experiences that we have in our life. It's the, it's the foundation of Christian maturity, of growing in the knowledge. And as I grow in the knowledge of God, I am also growing in the surety that I have of God working in my life and God's ability to keep me in this life. Have you known a Christian, or maybe you are a Christian, that you just don't have that surety? You kind of got saved, at least you think you did at one point in your life, and you never really followed after the Lord or sought to grow, and now something happened in your life or whatever it might be, and you feel like you're left to flounder. Well, it's because you don't have that solid knowledge of who God is, and just as important as how God is in your life and how he works in your life and how he works through your life. And so the result of every Bible study Every time of discipleship, every opportunity for Christian fellowship is the maturity that comes from knowing God and knowing God in a personal or an intimate way. So today, how does a person have the surety that they know God? How can I have that confidence? How can I have that assurance of knowing God, especially when the foundations are tested? especially when the difficult day comes as I go through trials, as I go through the experiences that we all go through in life. Well, the first thing that you must do in order to know God, have that relationship with God, you must personalize his promises. You have to personalize the promises that are given to us in the word of God. We'll go through a few, but there's just so many. 
you have to understand and realize that this book wasn't written to us. This book was written to you. You've got to personalize this. Yes, us collectively, without a doubt, but you individually. And as you come to that realization, you'll read it from a different perspective. If I told you, hey, somebody just sent an email with your name on it, and it's from the President of the United States. that, That could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. But you would definitely want to know what he had to say. You would really be curious about that. You would want to see the email right away. Well, we've been given this. We've been given this, his word of word, and it is addressed to you personally. And God's got things to say. And some of the things that God has to say are promises that are geared towards your Christian life. So you must personalize these promises. It's in the promises of God that those who know God have been assured that they are known by God. So just as important it is that you know God, you must come to an understanding that you are known by God. And what I mean by that is that God does know you personally. So he just doesn't throw these blanket blessings or whatever over all of his people. He meets every single person exactly where they are in the situations and circumstances that they are dealing with. And so there's Moses. Moses is called by God to do this great work, and God gives him a little bit of reminder during a time when he needed the confidence that this knowledge brought him. It says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 17, For the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. When he says, I know you, now this is God speaking to Moses. You have found grace in my sight. We've got the relationship, but I know you. And the knowledge that we will have of God will be based upon the knowledge that God has on me. And what do I mean by that? I know who I am. And there's aspects of my life that I haven't talked about from the pulpit because they're shameful things. We all have shameful things. We all have things that we're... Man, I don't know what I was thinking during that time. Man, if I could only have that over time over again. But God knows it all. He knows me by name. He knows the nature and the essence of who I am. He knows that I have a sinful nature, and he knows the essence of who I am as well, at least before salvation, but also after salvation. And so he knows me to the core of who I am, and he does the same to you. And guess what? It's okay. That's all right. Moses, remember Moses murdered a man. God knows about that. He tried to hide the body in the sand, but that's the problem with anybody that ever commits murder. What do you do with the body? Well, he tried to hide the body, but he was found out, and he had to go back into the the back end of the wilderness for 40-some years. But God knew all that. God, God, God knew that, well, remember when in, in chapter 3, when God said he'd send, and, you know, here I am, Lord, send him, send somebody else. God, God knew of all of his weaknesses and his imperfections, And God still used them. God still saved you, knowing of all your imperfections. God still uses you, knowing of your imperfections. Matter of fact, if God only used perfect people, God would never use anybody because nobody is perfect. Nobody amongst us is perfect. So it's of no benefit to know God if he does not know you. And so as God knows all things, I come to the realization he knows me. And because of the magnitude of his love that he has for me, I have a desire to get to know him even better. The personalization of his promises remind us that 
He is well aware of us, and we are to become well aware of how he interacts in his life. As I cling to the promises, as I believe in the promises, as I see the promises that he has given me come to pass, I come to a deeper understanding of the magnitude of the love and care that he has for me. And again, I have a confidence in that. In Genesis 17, verse 8, Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Cana, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. We will have, he's saying, that personal relationship as I bring you into the promised land. It's through the working of God's promises in our lives that we are reassured of his concern and ability to work in our lives in a personal way. God's desire, his concern, his ability to work in your life. Think about that. I mean, again, these things we should be meditating upon, that God has concern for me. God desires to do a work in my life. God desires to care for me. God desires to hear from me. God has, he's desirous of me. And that's an amazing thing. If you would really stop and think about it, because the majority of the people who are concerned about you are usually concerned about you for their benefit, what they're able to get from you. God has nothing to receive from us, but he's got everything to give to us. Yet he still thinks upon us. He's still concerned about us. King David, as he would sit under the stars, tending the sheep at night, would meditate upon these things. I think one of the biggest scourges that mankind has is, well, what maybe man looks as the biggest blessings, but are the television, internet, and all of these things that take our attention. No longer do we sit and just kind of gaze up at the stars and consider the glory of God, consider the vastness of the power and concern that he has for us just by looking at his grand creation been quite a few years, I think it's been about 12 years ago, I went hiking in the backwoods of the Sierras, and the place where we were camping had a lake up there, and had this little rock that kind of jetted out into the lake, and because it was so hot, the mosquitoes were so thick during this time, we'd go out and lay on top of that rock, and it was kind of windy, so it would keep the mosquitoes at bay, and just laying on that rock, you could see the stars And then you would kind of adjust your eyes and you could kind of see the layer of stars a little bit further and further. And you could just see the depths of outer space, you know, in in the limited ways that we're able to see it. And then you would see off to the side, there would be a shooting star and a shooting star here or there. And then man would ruin it by a satellite coming over. But still, it, it, it just spoke of, you know, just how great our God truly is. Because what we see here, we could so easily take for granted. You can just so easily take it for granted. I, I mean, just the, the simple things that we have. I have a wallet. This wallet is made out of leather. And if you told me to make a wallet from scratch, I'd have a hard time. First of all, I'd go wandering out into the dairy fields and start peeling skin off a cow and probably irritate them. And those things are pretty big, and you'd probably be pretty mean at, at that point. And, and then just to fashion these things, well, what... We look at the limited things that man's able to do. What about the greatness of all God is able to do? It's that God who is concerned about your life. And so when we come to this realization and this understanding, once again, verse 19, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts, set our hearts at rest. Now it says before him. It doesn't say just do it. It says before him. Before him, 
based upon who God is, what he has done, what he does, and what he is able to do in the future. Now, the promises of God, excuse me, they should be a focal point of your times of meditation. Now, again, I'm not talking about pagan meditation. I'm talking about in-depth thinking upon the Lord and the things of the Lord, a consideration of the Lord and the things of the Lord. Not just to read through God's word during your time of devotion, but to truly consider the things that are being said and how they apply to your lives. And so the promises of God, start marking in your Bible as you read through your Bible, the promises of God. Because if God speaks to us through our time of reading, when we get to the promises, he's going to make them real in your life. But if you're doing like we can all do at times, just zooming through to get it done, I mean, there's been times, you know, because I read through the one-year Bible, and usually there's about three Old Testament chapters, and then there's a New Testament chapter, and then a chapter of Psalms, and then a couple of verses of Proverbs. And I'll be reading, and all of a sudden, did I skip over the Psalm? Did I read the Psalm? And I'll go back to the Psalm. Yeah, I read it, but I don't remember it. Or, or you know what, we, we just read in Colossians chapter 1, and I like that section of Scripture, but I don't even remember reading it. And so I'll go back and reread it, and how did I miss this? You miss it because you're just kind of flying through at times. Learn to meditate upon God. Learn to meditate upon God's Word. Deep thought towards the Lord. Or maybe I should say full attention towards the Lord and towards the Lord's Word. Hebrews 13:5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God has told you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. The idea is I will never abandon you. Regardless of the deep troubles that you go through or trials, I will be there with you. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Whatever your need is, God says, I will provide your need. Whatever it may be, I'll be there as your provider. So he's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us, and he is going to provide for all of my need. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That great work that I started, God is saying, on the day that you were saved, I'm going to be with you every step that you take until the time that you come to heaven. Matter of fact, he even kind of makes it even bigger than that until the day of Jesus Christ, which means until the time of the rapture of the church. And what he's saying, everybody in the church, the good work that he starts in your life, he's going to be faithful to bring that to completion. How does he bring it to completion? Is there anybody in here who's done? Well, you're never done, you know, not like a toaster. You're never done in this life. He brings it to completion as you're standing before him in the kingdom of heaven. And so... That's the great hope that is an anchor to our soul. It's based upon promises such as that. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He's going to provide for all of my need. He's going to be faithful in the good work that he's doing in my life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so as I'm going through this life and as the difficulties arrive, I've got somebody who has their ear directed towards me. Lord, enable me to pray according to your will, because as we pray according to the will of God, I guarantee you, you're going to see the hand of God. I can't tell you. Now, we have an email prayer request prayer chain at our church. 
they go out to about 80 people instantaneously. The information's in the bulletin. If you want to be part of the people who pray or you want a prayer, uh, or want to be part of the people who pray or you want a prayer, a prayer paid, you know what I mean, don't you? A prayer prayed for. Um, I won't be the one praying because I can't talk, but I'm just kidding. Um, but seriously, I've seen the prayers go out, let's just say on a Saturday, and we gather them together one last time and pray for them on Thursday night, and a lot of times they're answered by Thursday night. Not always how people want, but they're answered. And we, we serve a God who, well, he's never going to leave me nor forsake me. We, we serve a God who provides for all of our needs. The great work that he starts, he's going to bring to completion, and he hears my prayer. He hears the concerns of my heart. He hears the desires that I have. He's well aware of who I am. Again, to have a one-way conversation all the time, sooner or later you're going to be tired of that person and you're going to blow them off. God wants to have that two-way conversation with his people. 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, are yes and in him, amen. Amen means so be it. To the glory of God through us. And so all of the promises of God, we're told God is faithful and he's going to be faithful to his word. Because again, we say that in another Christianese thing. Well, God is just so faithful. What in the world does that mean? What is he faithful to? He's faithful to his word. It's essential that we understand that the faithfulness of God is qualified by the word of God. And so as he is faithful to his word, these are just a couple of, I don't even know how many promises are contained in the Bible, but he will never leave me. He'll supply all of my need. He'll continue the good work that he started. If I pray according to his will, he hears me. And all of the promises, all of the promises are going to come to pass that God has directed towards me. To know God is to know that his word is true and to partake of the assurances that it has given to us. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, even to the end of the church age. So number one, if you know God, you will personal. this is important, you will personalize his promises. Don't just think of God's promises to them, to him, to her, to whoever. No, they're to you. Well, pastor, you don't know who I am or how I am. We already saw that. God does. God knew who you were before he saved you, and he still has given you these promises. Learn to grasp onto them. Learn to possess them. Secondly, to know God is to crave his company. It's the desire to, to have him with you wherever you go. Now, he said he'll never leave me nor forsake me, but to be sharpened towards that reality, to know that God is with me regardless of where I am at. How many times have you heard somebody even praying from a pulpit, hey, and, the God, and God, God must be amongst us because the word says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, he is there. Well, that, that's a misuse of scripture. That, that context is used in church discipline. We're not going to be exercising any church discipline here during the next half hour. So, okay, so, but, but God is still with us. Not because there's two or more people, because of every single individual that is here. Sometimes I come in here during the week and pray all by myself, and guess what? God's with me. God's with me wherever I go. God's with you wherever you go. You don't need two or more in order for him to make it worth the effort to show up. God is with you wherever you go. He dwells inside of you. 
Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the, the flame scorch you. He's saying, I'll be there. And what he's talking about, I know that people die, born-again believers die. I know that they get in accidents and hard things happen to these people, but God is with us every step of the way. And as far as my eternal life, nobody can touch that. There's not an event that can alter that. I am kept by my living God. And so personalize his promise, but also crave his company to be with and just to spend time together. My wife, yesterday, as we were driving home from going shopping, said, I can't imagine living the rest of my life with somebody else. And I'm thinking, do you know something I don't, dear? If I die next week, tell the police to look at her. I don't remember what we were talking about. I guess I should be more aware. I should start listening to her. But I know what she was saying. It, it, it's just that over 39 years of marriage, there's just that peace and that comfort. And, and one of the things that she did say, this one is good. She goes, and it's times like this, just, just driving together, just being in the car together and going shopping and, and, and just doing just routine things like that. You know, the things when you were younger you thought were boring, they become more valued times in, in my life anyway. And, and so just, just being together and doing things in our busy day together, there, there's just something about that. And as she said, it, it, there's a bonding that occurs as we accumulate these days. You know, again, whatever it is that you do, go on vacation together, you know, or just sit in your living room and talk together, whatever it might be. But, but there's the reality of that. And I want to foster that reality as much as depends upon me with God as well, to spend time with the Lord been time well there was a time that we didn't know each other my, my wife and myself and there was a time that we were just getting to know each other we first met and didn't really know what to say you know and it was just that little bit of awkwardness but we've refined it over the years and it's the same thing with God you refine the relationship from your perspective and God does the work that he does from his perspective and you have this strong intimate relationship and so again, crave his company, desire to spend time with the Lord. Part of knowing God is to know that you cannot do without your God. God's absence in your life, well, that emptiness, that emptiness would be, well, it would just, it would degrade the assurance that you have in your Christian life. Now, God doesn't leave us. He's given us that promise, but unfortunately, we don't have the supernatural ability of God. Sometimes it's us who wander away. Sometimes we do an about face and run away from the relationship, but let's look at it from a little bit better perspective, different perspective. Sometimes we just kind of wander away, and you kind of wandered away from your spouse, and I just mean start taking them for granted, not really paying attention to them, just kind of going through our mundane life and not really having any kind of passion towards one another. And we can do that with God. 
And if we do that with God, it's sin. We're, we're, we're missing the mark of, of perfection as, as we do that. And, and we're told in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And so in my desire to be with God, and this is, remember what John is talking about? One of the proofs of our salvation is, is living a life, a, a righteous life before God, loving the brethren and living a life of righteousness. Those will be effects of a born-again believer's life. And if I start wandering away from that, if I'm not doing that, it's going to affect my relationship with God. So as I said many times before, you ever feel like you're living a godless existence? I mean, or maybe I should say a godless moment. You know, I just feel so far from God right now. Well, God's everywhere. He can't move out of your life. Who moved? You moved. Because of your iniquities, because you've started to miss the mark in your Christian life, no longer are you meditating upon the Lord and the relationship with the Lord and the reality of the Lord. Now, all of a sudden, your focus has shifted and it seems as if God has shifted, but in reality, you have shifted. And it's a good thing about God. His mercies are renewed every day. We have the opportunity to stop and go in the right direction. My wife is merciful through the times that I've messed up or vice versa. We're always receptive of one another. There's always that means to come back and to have that good relationship, how much more so in God. God is always there and his hand is always held out. Now, as far as a godless existence, well, the ultimate punishment for sin, either temporarily or permanently, is the absence of God in our lives. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, we kind of looked at this concept in depth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ the Son cleanses from all unrighteousness. Now, when he says we walk in the light, the light or the glory, especially to the Jewish mind, was a picture of the presence of God. When the tabernacle was constructed and the temple was built and the prayers and the sacrifice was offered, what did God do? He validated the work and the offering by inhabiting the tabernacle and inhabiting the temple. The tabernacle was that portable temple, if you will, and the temple was that which permanentized the tabernacle. But nonetheless, God put his blessing upon it by his presence in it. And the reason they knew that he was present there was because of his glory or the light that shone from it. And so when John says, as we walk in the light, the idea is the knowledge of walking in the presence of God. And as we have this knowledge of walking in the presence of God, we know that we are living a life that is acceptable to him. As far as the unbeliever, you look at the other end of the stick in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, speaking again of unbelievers, whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's the description of hell, is outer darkness. Outer darkness, that tells me it is void of the presence of God. And so hell is a godless existence for eternity apart from any kind of blessings of the Lord. And so we see these two contrasting positions that mankind is able to have. For those who know God, 
they will live in the light or live in the presence of God. So secondly, if you know God, you will crave his company. So personalize his promises, crave his company, and then thirdly, forsake faithlessness. Forsake faithlessness. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, there's faith at salvation, but I must live every step of my life, take every step of my life in faith. Faith did not stop at the moment of salvation, but I continue to walk in faith. I continue to trust God for the day as I live this life, and my life reflects a person whose faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I go through hard times, understanding the promises of God, knowing God and knowing who God is, that people would see the faith that I have and it would be that which would speak to their hearts, and they would come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the flesh and the world and the devil will cloud your perception of God, but a lot has to do with where you pitch your tent. Now, this is crucial in our lives today. Where do you pitch your tent? What in the world are you talking about, Pastor? I don't have a tent. Well, your attention. Where do you pitch your attention towards? We live in times that there's so much to get our attention. We live in times when pornography is running rampant on the internet, it's streaming into people's homes. We live in times, well, we can go through every rotten, bad, sinful thing, but they're all there for the taking. They're all there right before us. And I guarantee you, if you pitch your tent or attention towards it, it's going to suck you in. It's going to bring you in. And we've already seen what happens when we harbor sin within our hearts. It's as if God is, is not there. It's as if I stepped out into the darkness. What am I talking about as far as pitching tents? Well, we see Lot. Lot and Abraham. Lot and Abraham, their flock started to grow, and they were sharing the same country, the same grazing ground, and they had servants, and there started to be conflicts between the servants, and Abraham finally said to Lot, listen, We've gotten too big. One of us is going to have to move to greener pastures, if you will. He goes, you choose. You choose the ones that you want. And so Lot went around choosing. Now, what did he base his choice upon? He saw this area that looked really good. And what did it remind him of? Now, nowhere do we see that he sought after God's will. But he chose his territory based upon a worldly experience because previous Abraham, through a lack of faith, what did he do? He went to Egypt rather than seeking God for his provision. He took Lot with him, and that influenced Lot. So now Lot needs to make a decision. He sees this territory, and it reminded him of Egypt. Remember what Egypt is? Egypt is a picture of the world. Now we're told in Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, this place that he had chose was in the area of Sodom. And what did he do? He pitched his tent towards Sodom. That means his attention, as he, <clears throat> as he would look out his tent, he would see Sodom, and he would gaze upon Sodom. And you can say, well, what's the big deal? If you ask a lot, well, I just want to keep an eye on them people. But then you go to chapter 14, verse 12, and you see he was dwelling in Sodom. See, there was an attraction, and the attraction of our flesh is real. There's no doubt about that. We can all attain to that. So there, there was that attraction 
and he gave in to the attraction. So now his tent was just pitched towards it because he just needed to keep an eye on it. I just needed to check it out. But then all of a sudden he's living in it. Then you get to chapter 19, verse 1. He was sitting in the gate. That means he was part of the city council. He became part of the fabric of that godless city. And so this man, who was kind of keeping it at arm's length, but didn't forsake it, was brought in, and now he's become part of, well, this, this city that's about to receive the judgment of God. And then you see it even worse in chapter 19, verses 15 through 22. When it came time to leave, he had to be drugged out of the city. And so this man, and he's referred to as righteous Lot, this man who... Well, he needed to make a decision, but he based his decision upon the world. And then he just decided to kind of keep an eye on the world. I can balance the Lord and the things of the world, but he couldn't because the world drew him in. He became part of the world. And then when it came time for the world to be judged, I mean, the angel told him, the city's going to be destroyed. You need to get out. And it said, while Lot lingered. Now, we're in the flight path of the Ontario airport. Every once in a while, you know, the plane will come right over the building. If you told me at 11.15 on Sunday morning, a plane is going to crash in and destroy everything in here, I probably would have canceled service. I wouldn't come in here, well, you know what, I'll wait till 11.14. Well, that's what Lot was doing. You'd say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, that's exactly what he was doing because he so had a desire for the sinful ways, the worldly ways that had brought him in, that catered to his flesh. And there's not a one of us who can stand strong against our flesh. We must be of the mindset to live a life that is faithful to God throughout all of our years. In Matthew 10, and you will be hated all for my namesake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. He who exhibits saving faith and does so through the remainder of their lives will have a surety of their salvation. A righteous walk without faith is simply impossible. What is faith that is pleasing to God? To believe, we're told in, again in Hebrews eleven six, to believe that God exists and to believe that he is a rewarder of those who believe in him. This whole concept of the knowledge of God and a reward from God because of that knowledge of God, they go hand in hand. What I mean by a reward is just by God moving and interacting within our lives. James 1.17, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If you know God, you will walk with God. Remember Enoch, he walked with God and was no more because God took him unto himself. You will not run ahead of God because if you're running ahead of God, that exhibits a lack of trust in God. You will not lag behind God because that will exhibit a lack of faith in the direction that God is sending you in. But you will match him stride by stride to the best of your ability. And again, just as Enoch did, and God took him unto himself. So thirdly, if you know God, you will forsake faithlessness. Fourthly, if you know God, you will grow in his grace. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. To know God is to know his grace because that's the only way that any of us could ever possibly know God. God, well, he's given us mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. We all deserve judgment. But he goes beyond that. He gives us grace. He gives us that which we do not deserve. He gives us salvation. 
He, he gives us growth and times for growth and maturity, and he even brings us into his own service. Again, the way that I remember both of these, what does mercy do? It keeps us out of hell, and it's grace that gets us into heaven. It's grace that gets us into heaven. Grow in the knowledge of that grace. Grow in the knowledge of the magnitude of what was required of that grace to work in your life so that you could stand before a holy God. When you dwell upon those things, when you meditate on these things, when you come to a knowledge of God and you come to a knowledge of his grace, you'll realize how huge your salvation truly is. To know God's grace is to live every day in the knowledge of it. In Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, I alluded to it earlier. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's his grace that has opened the door, opened the gates to that. So if you know God, you'll be growing in his grace. And then lastly, in order to know God, you have to know his son. You have to know his son. Jesus was very clear about that in John 14, 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Look at the antithesis of that. If you hadn't known Jesus, if you do not know Jesus, you do not know the Father. I received an invitation in the mail, I think it was on Friday. The, there's a mosque, a Muslim mosque, in uh, Rancho Cucamonga, and they're having an open house on Saturday, and they're inviting local pastors to come to it because they want to foster this environment of, of unity, whatever it might be. That's of the devil. It's just flat out of the devil. Why? Because they don't know Jesus Christ. And they're trying to be accepted based upon a Christless existence. If you don't know Jesus, the Bible says, not me, the Bible, you don't know the Father. And they don't know the Father because their Allah is completely different from the God that is of your Bible. Don't be fooled. Don't be taken advantage of because of that. In the past, man knew God the best that he could with what God offered him, but he knew God through a burning bush, a loud voice, an angel, a cloud, a pillar of fire. But as for today in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. That means an exact representation. He is the exact representation of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, for by Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. When it says all things consist, it literally means all things through Christ are held together. And how much more so is the church held together in Jesus Christ? Your life is held together in Jesus Christ. All things are held together by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you know him, you know the Father. 
we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit as that reminder, always directing us back to Jesus Christ who directs us before the throne of God in heaven. And so do you know God? You're known by God, whether you know God for salvation or not. You're still known by God, but we have this responsibility, church, and you need to see how important. It's why I took this time to go down this road today. We must know God. And when I say know God, continue to grow in the knowledge of God, that I would know God greater tomorrow than I know him today, regardless of who you are, regardless of the knowledge that you have today, that you would continue to push forward into that. Because the only time that we can say that we've arrived is when we arrived in heaven, in his presence. But as for today, we continue to push forward. It's why you'll see in the bulletin, there's a woman's um, discipleship opportunity in there. I'm going to start teaching a class on discipleship, and it's all designed to know God, to know the relationship that God has fostered with us through his son, and to know these realities in our lives so that, verse 19, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him, that we would have that peace and contentment in our lives and it would be based upon nothing else than the knowledge that we have of our God. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. And Father, just the ability to meditate upon your word, that we can dig deep, that we can go off on tangents, but beneficial tangents, Lord, and to see these concepts of you and who you are and how you relate to our lives. And I just pray, Father, based upon the things that you have spoken to the hearts here, that we would have a surety in this life. If there's change that needs to be made, if we've wandered off into the darkness, Lord, that we would come back to the light, that we would seek you out, and God, we would continue to cling to you to the best of our ability. And so, Father, I lift up those who have come out this morning, those who are listening on the internet. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would watch over them and keep them. But I pray, Father, that you would reveal even more and more of yourself to us. And, Father, we would be receptive of that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? If you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ or if you want prayer, there will be a couple up here after service, and I'll be in the back afterwards. Um, in the bulletin, you may not have seen it, but the Women of the Cross Retreat, they're starting to take sign-ups today. And we've decided to do something a little bit different this year. Of all the women who sign up for their retreat, everybody that has put a deposit down by November 10th, they're going to take all of those names and put them in a hat and do a drawing. And the person that wins is going to have his retreat, their, her retreat, paid for and so, but that's only of the people who register. You have to give a non-refundable $50 deposit before November. Now, the retreat isn't until I believe it is March, but this is just their little way of trying to get you to sign up on time. Um, and you will get your deposit back, at least $25 of it. The, I get the other $25 for shipping and handling or whatever. Uh, tonight, we're, I'm kidding about that. Tonight, we're uh, going to be back in Matthew. My son, Sean, will be out. As I said, I'll be in the back. And just continue in your quest to know God, to understand the magnitude of, he is, of who he is and all that he has done. God bless you guys.
God bless you guys. Have a great week.